Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Stay with me. We are starting a new series called A New Way. And I do want to encourage you as our amazing announcer did that. Um, please jump into the devotional. We want to read the Bible together. We honestly believe that people who read the Bible together go on journeys in the Word together grow. And we're going to be speaking about that today. But this book of Colossians is a book written by a man named Paul who loved the church and went on his own journey. And last week we spoke about a, a, a new way starts with a new identity. How at the very start it just says Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But actually he wasn't always an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was actually a persecutor of the church. He was one who actually deserved punishment and not privilege in the church. He was one who actually shouldn't have had the privilege of pioneering much of the local church and writing many of the New Testament books, but Jesus. And he writes this book, four chapters about the glory of Jesus, the wonder of the gospel, the preeminence, the priority, the power, and the incredible supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's what these four chapters are about. And we can say, well, I've got that. I know the gospel. On the day that I made the decision to worship Jesus, I needed the gospel. No, you didn't. You needed every day, every moment, every hour, every decision, every time a voice shouts at you back down, every time a voice, an idol wants to appear in your life, every time you need the supremacy of Jesus to be in your gaze, to be in your heart, to be upon our stories at every level, because that's who Jesus is. He is glorious. Jesus transforms life. Jesus brings people in pods. Jesus makes ways where there seem to be no way. That's Jesus. And it's an incredible statement. He writes in this incredible series, and he says, it's all about Jesus. There's nothing else. He doesn't even know these people. He hasn't been to them. He knows them through his friend Epaphras, who had gone there to plant this church. And Epaphras had partnered with Paul and then gone back, and, and Paul is sitting in prison. I asked last week, but maybe how many of you have received an encouraging letter from prison lately? Just like, just a friend in prison wrote you a letter saying, you're doing so well. Keep going. Don't back down. It's not what you get. It's something not of this world. It's something where a man has such a revelation that eternity is real, that Jesus is on his throne. Nothing will dethrone Jesus, and eternity is coming, that it actually doesn't matter what my current circumstance, how good life is going, whether the coffee or the tea is hot or cold. It doesn't matter because Jesus is supreme. And we're going to jump into that next week. I nearly jumped into that this week, but it is possibly the most exciting section, sector of Scripture, or whatever you call it, portion of Scripture. That has to grip us. It's a portion of Scripture I honestly believe every believer should learn off by heart. So that we can quote it to ourselves when there's a temptation to back down. See, he's writing, and wherever Paul wrote to the Romans or the Galatians or the Corinthians, he would write with the heart, pastor's heart, with a pastoral concern that he's addressing with the gospel. He doesn't have any better ideas. He just has the gospel. And in Colossians, there's some challenges coming. There's some cultural challenges, like cultural challenges that are facing us now. One of the challenges in their world is most of them, all of them, had come out of Greek mythology, Greek worship, where there was polytheism and, and there were multiple gods, and Jesus just became another god in the story, and there was pressure on them to say, actually, just worship Jesus as one of your gods. I'm telling you, it's just as real and rough in our world. G worship Jesus as one of your gods. Worship Him on Sunday. Worship money on Tuesday. Worship ambition on Wednesday. Worship your kids on Thursday. I'm telling you. That is a cultural pressure in our world. And Jesus said, no, worship me every day and watch when the king of glory takes a hold of your life. 
Watch. Thank you. I thought that was good. I, I really thank you. The second pressure that comes is they're starting to get back to the old laws and say, well, actually, now we've got to get back. And there's some um, Jew, uh, old law speakers saying, actually, you've got to jump into the Torah, fulfill every law. And Paul's saying, guys, 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 I was that guy. I was so good at the laws, I would make up new laws just to follow more laws. I was that guy, but it didn't take me anywhere. It's only Jesus. And as we preach the series, I, I want to pray again, like I prayed last week, that we would see Jesus. Actually, can I pray for us right now? Jesus as we come to your word this morning, we read your word like no other book, Lord. We, we come under your word. We come under the authority and the power of your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, in every line, in every page, in every letter, in every placement of a comma, there is power, there is freedom, and there is life when we see Jesus. And I pray, Spirit of God, let us see Jesus again afresh. For some the first time, for some again, for some decades down the line of fresh facets of how glorious our King is. Oh, we worship you, King. Give you praise and honor. Have your way with us, we pray. Amen. One of the things I mentioned last week is the gospel is the ballast in our lives. It's that part of a ship where they pump water into that stabilizes the ship in storms. I didn't know that. I had to study that. Actually, John Piper told me about it. He said, put ballast in the belly of your boat so that wave, when waves crash against your life, you will not capsize. Put ballast in the belly of your boats. Pump water, pump strength. Put the gospel deep down inside of your soul. So when the waves come, because they will come, you're not relying on an anchor to earth. You are relying on the glory of God that is inside of you. So when the waves come, because they will come, they'll come. They are coming. And if one hasn't hit you this week, another one is coming. Why? Because that's called life on this earth. It's called troubles are not exempt. Christians are not exempt from troubles. No, they're coming. We just get Jesus to navigate the storms and walk with. And in my, I, I love that fact, and I cannot move away from that promise. But I want to read a section of Scripture from Colossians 1 that I did read last week, verse 9. I want to say, as a leadership, we read this at least at four or five different times, and we took hours to pray this section of Scripture over you as a church, as the apostle prayed over this people in Colossians said, for this reason, the reason being he's encouraged them already. He said, you're doing well. The gospel is going. The gospel is growing. It's finding traction. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, in brackets, from prison. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the, in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. I could not possibly preach that whole scripture in this time that we have, but it's glorious. And I pray you would allow the word to preach to yourself as you go and jump into the word and read and study. There are commentaries available online. Become a theologian. It's not the mandate of the guy in the pulpit. Every believer has to go on a journey of becoming a theologian and engaging God and, and finding out the truth, mining out the truth. It's not the privilege of a guy who stands at the microphone. Not at all. I... I want to speak today about a growth journey. I've got three boys, and I've come to realize, as I probably should have long before, that a growth journey in the life of boys is very big. 
It's about measuring the muscles getting bigger. Ben stood up the other day and he did an oral on muscles. Seashell muscles. He said, muscles come from the sea. I'm talking about muscles, not these muscles. And he went on his little, yes, it was cute. And, um, but, but it's all about growth charts, and it's about marks against the wall. And it's, look how big my biceps are, and the older brother dominating with his size. That's not there yet, but it's coming, and he's prophetically holding down his bigger, younger brother. And, and, and it's all about this growth, and there's a journey going, eat your food, you'll grow. Eat your food. Anyone ever heard that? Moms are like, yeah, done that work for three seconds. So the broccoli came out. And then... Um, but, but you realize growth is a big thing. We, we had a boy, we've got a boy who's quite short for his age, and we went to Waterworld on the south coast of Natal, told him how amazing it was, got there, and he is two centimeters too short. Becomes a big thing. When you don't even want to take his younger brother to the measuring tape because he's probably going to reach it. So you don't even go there, you, 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 and then you have to make a plan to make sure he gets to the slide. So we did the illegal thing and got him onto the slide and swapped things and made plans to get to the slide. And the people are looking at him going, there's Judah walking like this. <laughs> but you've got to make a plan. And you understand, we, we, on grade one, we, my kids moved from Durban and Judah went from straight from Durban, English, where Afrikaans is not a thing in Durban. Sorry, Afrikaans people. Afrikaans is not a thing in Durban. It's like, we know it exists. It's just not a thing. It's true. And uh, we thought we studied it. Actually, I thought I got really good marks until I moved to Cape Town. And one day, my little boy encounters Afrikaans. He comes back, and he, we, mom, his mom's driving, and he just says, Mom, what's a dwerghi? And if you don't speak Afrikaans, a dwerghi is a dwarf. And he had been called a dwarf, and we had to navigate that little question. Because size is a big thing, and growth is a big thing in a young man's life. And it should be a big thing. And it's an interesting question, what does spiritual growth look like? Because it is a big thing. How do you measure it? Is it in, it, it, how do you measure it? Is it, do you measure, what do you measure it against? Who do you look against? Do you think it's important? As partnership in the life of this church, there are four things that we hold to. To gather, to give, to go, and to grow. We've put it on a mandate that what it means to actually partner in life. When I'm in Wayne's life, I'm partnering in his life. I'm partnering not just in the areas where he's doing well. I'm partnering in all the areas so that there's growth, so there's more glory for Jesus. And when I read the scripture, I'm reading the scripture and I'm looking and saying, the apostle Paul is sitting in prison. He's writing to a people he's never been to and he's calling them to more. He's saying there's so much more in you. I'm calling you to live a life of growth, a life that looks more and more like a life that is living, pleasing to God. He challenges them. He says that the heart of spiritual growth is learning that God wants us to live as his children. That there's an understanding. We aren't orphans and we aren't slaves and we aren't beggars and we aren't people coming to a judge. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And my growth is more of a growth of sonship. I will never have a higher status than a word upon my life saying, son of the living God. It is the highest status and accolade I could ever have on this side of eternity. It's the highest status I'll ever had. And spiritual growth means growing to know how God wants us to live so that we seek to please Him in all things. Not in our worship for 30 minutes when Bunty really encourages us, or will he encourage us that we're going to get in. No, every moment of our days in all things, in the way I treat my wife, in the way that I deal with the guy who cuts everyone off in traffic, which I don't always do well. God says, I want to get into all things, all things. 
spent three, hour, three days this last week praying with friends and navigating. We come home and, and there's someone in an accident. One oak decides to take everyone. I'm like, ah. End up messaging the guys in the car. Sorry, guys. Shouldn't have done that. Why? Because God wants all things in my life. I have a father, not a judge. 60% is not the mark. 33% is not the mark. The mark is when people look at me and when he looks at me, does he see a son? And it's a massive understanding that needs to get inside of us. And number one, I want to call us that to grow, to know is to grow. The apostle puts it this way, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with what? The knowledge. The knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Number one, he says there, we pray and we ask God to fill you. Now, I have a bottle of water here. Sometimes to fill it with good stuff, to fill it with new knowledge and new understanding, I've got to pour this water out. I want to tell you, in our lives, there's some unlearning, there's some unacknowledging, there's some taking stuff out of our stories because God wants to fill us with wisdom and knowledge, but we're so full of other stuff. He says, I want to get inside of you. I want to fill you with knowledge. Knowledge of what? His will. Knowledge of his ways. Knowledge of his person. I want to get inside of you. Paul says that, yes, with growth, yeah, the growth will come with knowledge, but not a worldly knowledge, not a knowledge of Christian principles. There's too much of that in the church. If I just hold to Christian principles, my kids will turn out perfectly. If, if I just, you know, obviously... If, if I just do the right things, if I just give this here, if I say this here, if I have a quiet time in the morning, obviously those principles we will now all tell you, there will be blessing in them. I encourage unbelievers people to get married. Why? Because I believe they're honoring God. But it's not the fullness of a relationship called sonship. It's not the fullness of what he calls us into. It's just an understanding of a principle, and the apostle is dealing with that. He says, no, there's a deeper knowledge, a deeper knowing, a deeper pouring into and understanding that grips and starts to fashion our lives, not just a knowledge, well, now I know that, and when I play trivial pursuit about God, I've got the answer. That's such a low standard. I, I would hate my kids one day to stand and they get together at my funeral and go, what did we know about dad? Mm, he did this, did this, did this, did this. I've been to those funerals. It's very sad for me. I've been to weddings where fathers stand up, and their whole speech, to be brutally honest, is my son achieved this in matric. He went on to get this in his degree. He now has this job, and he's bought this house, and he's doing well in life. I'm going, no! No, that was never the intention of being a father, and it's not the intention and the desire that the father has in your life. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. To know him. And what does he mean? What is when Paul says, by God's will? Well, there's two sides of this will. There's God's side, and then there's the human side. God's side of the will means the whole desire and plan of salvation in and through your life. It's a glorious adventure. It means that everything changes. It's always the big thing to tell someone, oh, he gave life to Jesus. Awesome. Everything's going to change. The way you see everything, the way you see everyone, that when that anger that used to rise up, actually Jesus wants to get inside of that and he wants to bring peace because the Bible says, let your kindness and let your patience be evident to all. Hi, boy. No, that's got to be for another Christian. No, it's for a son or a daughter of the living God. I want you to know my will. 
And then there's the human side, that there is this outside, the realization that what salvation means for us and what it truly, why it's truly important for us is it impacts every facet of our lives. Okay, so now we're going to navigate life. Well, everyone's in debt. Let's get in debt. Let's, everyone's doing this. Let's do this. And no, 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 not everyone, Father. Not, not, not well, all my neighbors, no, Father. Not even all the people at church, no, Father and your word. That determines my life. It navigates my steps. It calls me to a different standard, and it calls you to a different standard. It calls a standard called living to please Him. Ephesians says, find out what pleases Him. Go on a journey. See, at salvation, you are fully qualified in that moment, but there is a journey beyond that, a journey of finding out what pleases your Father. Find out what pleases Him. Too many people in relationships, I don't know what pleases. Well, have you ever tried? Have you ever asked? Have you ever looked? I've watched fathers and sons try to navigate their relationships and not find ways because they're different people, but they've made assumptions that the way they want to be honored, the way they want to be treated is the same for their son or their father. And I promise you, the Bible calls us to go on a journey of understanding, a journey of, of wonder where we find out what pleases our Father in heaven. Find out what pleases, and I'm telling you, you'll be shocked and amazed and in awe of all the wonderful things that finds out what pleases Him because it doesn't look like all the achievements sometimes. It looks like the time that you stopped in the middle of the day just to love someone who didn't actually demand it. Someone who maybe, that if you stopped to do it, they wouldn't expect you to do it. No one else would. And no one, you're not going to get any credit back. And there's, you're not going to be a Facebook post with a photo of you going, look, this guy stopped to me today. It's not that. It's just a father. You see, when I look at my kids' lives and maybe moms, one day there's this journey of looking at your kids saying, do they know me? Do they love me? Are they living to please me? And sometimes it's out of duty. My boy Judah wakes up this morning. I must make mom coffee this morning. Okay, boy. I mean, that's great. Sounds a little bit like you have to do it. Do you want to do it? I, I want to. I actually did. I want to do it. See, but there'll be a day when, when he brings a little girl home. And it's, it's the thing that will rock our world is when he gets out and he opens the door and he treats her like a queen and he honors her. That'll be the day he finds out what pleases me. That'll be the day I'll look back and go all those conversations and all those things and all those tough little moments when his friends were doing one thing and I called him to a different standard. I said, boy, that's not you and that's not us. And because it's not us and it doesn't bring glory to God, you're going to walk a different road. That'll be the day my boy found out that he found out how to please me. It'll be on that day. It's not on a rugby field and it's not an exam paper. It's on that day. And Paul goes big. He says there's a new strategy, number one, to grow in wisdom. And wisdom is this practical skill of what we put into life every day. It's, it's how does spiritual growth and knowledge happen in our lives. The main idea behind wisdom is actually skill. It's the skill to navigate life. It's, it's the skill. It's, it's God's plan was revealed in Moses, and he uses these skillful or wise. The word is yet wise. It means skillful carpenters to come and build the tabernacle. And we think wisdom is knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong. No, it's, not. it's going to our Father and saying, God, help me with my skills at life. 
And yes, some people are graced with wisdom. And I think there's a gift of wisdom. And I think some people have given their lives to wisdom. And the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is fearing God and going on these journeys. We need to go on that journey of understanding that there is biblical wisdom in God. We can grow in it. Wisdom is not this defined cap that you got a portion at the start. Wisdom happens when we spend time with Jesus. I've met some of the most unwise people. And if I look at their stories and then I look at their lives now, I'm going, they're pretty skillful. Well, how did that happen? Well, it's called the gospel. It's called the supremacy of Jesus. They surrendered it to it. They submitted to it. And the power of God broke into their lives. And what happens? He took an unwise, unskillful man or woman who were messing up their lives. And he began to do a journey called the gospel. And at the end was a result. And we look back and we go, wow, that's wisdom. And he says, I want you to grow in wisdom and requires learning about God and how he wants us to live so that our lives are not ruined by sin. Our lives are not ruined by bad decisions. Our lives are not repetitive cycles of brokenness that continue and continue. No, he wants to call us to the skill of living a life under his authority, under his ways. And sometimes it's not glamorous. And most of the time, no one's going to go Facebook post, oh, Look at this guy, full of wisdom. It doesn't happen like that. But your kids will look back one day and say, thank you, Dad, for the way you guided. Thank you, Dad, for the life that you brought. And thank you, Father, Mother, for the skill that you had in navigating my gentle young heart that wasn't able to fully comprehend the implications of the decisions I was making. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Grow in wisdom. I want to tell you it's an intentional journey. Here's the other thing. I, I was 19 years old. The year after school, I grew 9 or 10 inches. It's a lot. It was an answer to prayer, if I'm being brutally honest. It was my only prayer. I did pray for six foot, didn't quite get there, but with the right shoes, I'm almost there. It's like, uh, it was my only prayer as a teenager. God, make me big. I just want to be big because I loved rugby, the stupid game with a round ball that bounces funny ways. I loved it, but I was just never big enough, and every year it was the same thing. Line up biggest to smallest. Oh, you're joking. And you're walking. Five minutes later, you're still walking at the end next to Paul Sishi, a midget. I'm next to Paul. How's it, Paul? Nice to see you again. You start out, and they choose the teams. By the end of the year, you're somewhere up here in the next year. Line up biggest to smallest. How's it, Paul? Every year. I prayed, God, make me big. And then after school, I grew a really, and I went from a little bit stocky to a little bit skinny. I've got to add something onto this. And there was this amazing thing that became big called creatine. Creatine. So I went on an intentional journey, and creatine was, you had to mix it with grape juice. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Grape juice. And, and you just take creatine by the bucket load. It's, I mean, don't worry, it's illegal and it's all that stuff. You just take creatine and somehow it makes you bigger. Here's the thing. It doesn't make you stronger. It makes you uh, bounce back and able to train more and just fills your muscles with water. So eventually, there was a photo that years later when I came and left the marketplace. I walked into Glenville. I said, we've got a present for you. And they put a big picture up on the screen. It was a picture of me walking into church with my creatine muscles with a vest on. Because I was proud of my intentional growth journey. Oh, no. Why the story? That, that, that creatine made a guy who didn't matter whether he ate breakfast, lunch, or supper now wake up at certain times to mix his grape juice and his creatine and drink it. Because I want... I'm telling you, there should be the same appetite, desire, and allows to go on an intentional growth journey to grow in something like wisdom. 
Stop making the same mistakes over and over again. That's craziness. And Jesus says, you don't have to stay there. Oh, I never had a father who taught me some of the things that your father taught you. Yes, that's okay, but we got the same dad now. And the same dad now wants to teach you what it is to walk with wisdom like a skillful man, a skillful woman, to navigate things. Oh, but I never had a parent. No, you have one now. And let him show you how to love, how to parent, how to care for, how to carefully manage the heart of the little ones he's given you in your story to love. Intentional journey. Grow in spiritual understanding. And he says, well, that just happens by the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God in our lives. That's the revelation. That's the encountering God. That's why we encourage people to spend time in God's presence. Why? Because there's some things you can learn about God, but unless it's the Spirit of God going, bah, it doesn't happen. Unless there are the moments in God where you're worshiping and God goes, I want to do this with your heart. It doesn't happen. And he challenges us and he calls us and he says, actually, there's a revelation and a revealed truth and a revealed wisdom and a revealed growth that will come in relationship with God. Just be around him, be with him. And these two, the wisdom, of, uh, the, the wisdom and the, the, the knowledge of understanding work like multiple facets when a ship is navigating fog, like we had to navigate on our way to church this morning. A little bit of mist. And the captain's in, in his top shelf, and he's there behind the ship, and he's got a, 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 a what do you call, radar system. He's looking at the radar system, but he doesn't stop there. He then puts someone on the front deck. He says, tell me if you see anything of what you see. In our lives, we need wisdom and understanding, and we need other operations like the gifts of wisdom and understanding to operate to be seeing. And these operate like multiple tools in our life that begin to navigate. And all of a sudden, we aren't the ones about to fall off a cliff going, God, how did I get you? Show me your will. We're the ones walking with God who say, actually, there's a cliff. I'm going to go this way because God's leading me this way. And we're not even praying that prayer anymore. And people ask, well, how did you not get to that cliff at that moment? Well, I walked with my father. And I submitted to his ways. And there's not a thousand streets in the Bible. There's one street in the book of Acts called the Straight Street. There's a street where I follow God. There's a street where I submit to His Word. The Bible's not threatening us. He makes statements like, actually, the lonely we added into families. Awesome. I'm lonely. I want to be in a family. Then there's a very next line that says, rebellious will live in a sun-scorched land. Oh, but I don't like falling in line with God and His ways. I don't like being submitted in a church to leadership. I don't like those things. So I'm going to throw those things out. Well, then I'm going to tell you that sometimes there's going to be some sun-scorched lands, and it's not just because the environment changes, because you have allowed yourself to go on those journeys. Why? Because the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the journey and the growth journey He wanted to take you on, we didn't do. So we've got to start again. It's probably the hardest thing about pastoral leadership at church is watching people make those decisions sometimes over and over again. But why? Why this growth journey? Well, it's ultimately not about ticking boxes, a good Christian. No, it's about a father who's standing there going, I'm pleased with you, boy. I'm pleased with you. So one of the hardest things in my life is when I made the decision to leave corporate world and to go into the church, my dad didn't agree. My earthly dad. He didn't think it was great. He struggled with it. He had a fight with the pastor who asked me on to pastoral care. And my dad was the one who taught me what it was to be a Christian. And it was a wrestle. But I want to tell you that God takes us on the journeys and live to please him, and he will sort this out. He'll bring peace to your chaos when you don't have a strategy for it and you don't have answers. 
The second one I want to tell you, and it's simple, is walk it out. Grow means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It says in, in these things, find out what pleases God, is walk it out, that there's a walk. And it says there are four facets in the Scripture to this walk. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit is what God accomplishes through us when we depend on Him. And the Bible says that Jesus is the tree, we're just the branches. Because we're the branches and fruit starts coming out of us, do we think it's because of us? Or is it because of the tree and the root system that is plugged into the life of God that fruit begins to flow? And we get so proud of our fruit and we start flapping our fruit around. Look at my fruit. And it's not about your fruit. It's about being connected to the tree. It's about the fact that you have the privilege of being connected to the source of all life, the one who is supreme above it all. And so keep plugging yourself back into that source. Keep giving yourself to the life of that source. It says it carries on. Or here's strategy number two, how to walk it out. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Wow, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot. See, when I was 19 and I wanted to be big and strong, I didn't like the idea of five years of push-ups and sit-ups. I liked the idea of creatine. Whoop. Why? Because endurance and patience weren't my thing. It's just not my thing. I, I didn't like, uh, and, and in our world today, it's like we want sex without strings. Why? Because we want satisfaction now. Endurance and patience, well, that sounds like a lot of hard work. That sounds like eight hours of putting candles around a house and planning it out and losing. That sounds like hard work. <laughs> Why? Because there's no gospel drive through. It doesn't exist. And if you think it's exists or you've heard it exists, I want to tell you it doesn't. The Bible says on the other side of patience and endurance, on the other side of walking those steps out, patience, endurance, patience, endurance, God revealing, patience, endurance. There's a journey of learning what it is to please our Father. See, sometimes our systems are too slow and we struggle. Something's got to be learned. I've got three boys. I realize that sometimes it's only in the endurance and the patience. I've got a wife who's navigated three years of pain and fighting. Well, there's patience. There's this combination punch in our lives that be steadfast, the ability to endure, and patient, the ability to do it with the character of God. And these two start punching in our lives, and we start realizing we are punching above our weight. Why? Well, I never used to be known as wise, but now all of a sudden people think I'm wise. Why? Because I've gone on a journey of being steadfast and patient. Steadfast and patient. It's a journey. It's every man and every woman's journey. It's every child of God's journey. Oh, well, I got saved at 60. I've got a whole bunch of wisdom. I want to tell you, there's a whole bunch of wisdom that needs to be unlearned so that the learning of God and His ways and His character come upon us. We don't get to slap them on top. We start a journey, a glorious, faithful, courageful. I, I want to, and on the other side of that journey is 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, instead He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord's not slower than you think. We often think, oh God, your timing's so slow. And then years later, we're the one at life group. Oh, God had it all under control. Well, learn from that journey. That next time, God is in control. He's got the details. And step number three in this learning to please God, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Giving thanks is far more than good manners. 
it might start out that good manners if you never naturally. I mean, we've got one boy, Ben, it's like, that food was delicious, mom. Other oaks are like, mm-hmm. And so the other boys need the lessons. The other boys need to learn to understand that on the other side of thankfulness to our Father, there is victory, there's freedom, there's life, and there is joy, and there will be testimony after testimony. See, I'm one of those boys. And if I don't learn that lesson, I land in a whole bunch of things. I land in discontent. Oh, Israel's problem. Oh, God takes them out of slavery. Chains upon them, whipped and beaten, walking free. Yes, you're in a desert, but we're with God, and He's giving us manna from heaven. Oh, God, when are you going to do it? You should have left us there. Now, that's what thanklessness gets you to. You know what thanklessness does? It gets you to anxiety. God, will you do it again? Oh, I don't know if you're going to do it again. Uh, you did it for that person. You're watching other people's lives, and they've had kids, and their life moving forward, and your life's not moving forward, and anxiety starts creeping out, and all of a sudden you can't see God. Where is God? No, He was always there. You just didn't know how to thank Him. This is the gospel. This is simple stuff. Self-sufficiency, thanklessness is also a sign of unbelief. I want to tell you the gospel calls us beyond all these things. Why? Because at the end, He finishes with this. He says, who has qualified you? Can you say, has qualified me? Now you've got to say it with a bit more conviction. Has qualified me to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And we read that scripture while we're sitting around a table looking at the lives and the privilege sitting there going, not a single person here is inheriting a cent from any parent. And we laughed. Why? Because we get a better inheritance. We get an inheritance in Jesus that he's qualified me for, not my actions. on No, nothing. Jesus has qualified me. But the Bible speaks as an inheritance of something of rewards, of understanding that there's this walking into more. I sat with a friend the other day. He is managing a a person's wealth. They've just inherited 400 million rand. Just nothing for it. Another generation did something. It's incredible. And we all go, wow. Let me tell you another thing. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light? Wow! That's the gospel. And we start doubting. We start believing. We start allowing anxiety to get in because we don't believe the journey. We don't want to go on the journey of patience and steadfastness. And we don't want the gospel to determine our steps because we like being self-sufficient. And God says, well, continue in self-sufficiency, but your self-sufficiency will keep you in a desert. I've got a promised land for you. I've got a better story for you. I've got rivers for you to cross. You're going to look back and go, yeah, was that even a river? He has qualified you. This inheritance It's an eternal thing, but it's also a now thing. God has plans for our life, and and the fullness and the climax of that inheritance we'll see in eternity when Jesus returns. But we live in something of the inheritance of God in our lives now. We live in peace. We live in joy. We live in life. Why? Because I have inherited that from my king. And I was qualified for that inheritance, not by a lineage of this earth, a bloodline, or even my actions and rewards. I'm qualified for it by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. And Paul starts to shout from from prison cell. He says, there is not a square inch over all humanity over which God, Jesus, does not shout, mine! And you say, you keep disqualifying. I keep messing up. I keep living patient. And Jesus is going, no, you're mine. You're mine. I've qualified you. I've paid the price for you. 
And in America, my nephew yesterday qualified his Lani degree at some fancy university. And we see him walking up with all the robes because he's worked really hard. And yet in the gospel and the light of eternity and the light of my soul, Jesus says, I've qualified you. Walk. Go and receive it. You've done nothing for it. Nothing. Oh, Mark, you have. You've preached a few sermons. No, I've done nothing for it. Just Jesus. Just his goodness, just the perfection of his blood, and just something called the gospel. 2019, the church still has many challenges, but the answer is still the same. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is all-sufficient. Jesus is patient. He is kind. He is long-standing with us. He will continue to fight for us. Jesus is victorious. Paul knew this, so he sits in prison. Hey, God, can I have paper and a pen? Why? I want to write an encouraging letter to some people in a place called Colossae. I've never been because the gospel is glorious. That quote is not mine. A man named Abraham Kafer wrote it this way. No single piece of our mental world is to be. That's not on your quote. Is that there? Yeah. No single piece in our mental world is to be hermetically sealed or from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mine. And David stands there and says, O sovereign Lord, who am I and who is my family that you have brought us this far? And Jesus goes, I always just shouted, mine. Can we close our eyes, please, as we close this morning? We've worshipped and we've praised. We've honored and I trust moms. I really was tempted to preach something of an encouraging word to moms, but I don't think there's a more encouraging word than the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is time to make decisions more than, oh, well, I'm, I'm culturally a Christian. I'm, it makes sense to me. More than the others, I choose this one. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying make a decision to choose Jesus as Lord and supreme over all. And you know what will happen? You will stumble into wisdom. You'll stumble into grace. You'll stumble into patience. You'll stumble into being a parent that your kids will talk about for years to come. You'll stumble into stories and goodness that you never deserved. Why? Because he qualified you for it. You'll just stumble into it. The Bible says it's all on the other side of one thing. Jesus, be my king. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, you are all that I need. Can we say that together? Just Jesus, be my king. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, you are all that I need. Right now, if there are areas of your life that you need Jesus to be king and Lord and sufficient, I want us to stand. We're all going to pray that together. But if there are areas you know you need Jesus there, I want to ask, can we stand? And I'll be standing with you. And a simple, simple prayer allows the grace and the goodness of heaven to flow over us this morning. Whatever those areas are, whatever those decisions you need to make, as we pray this, 
together. Allow God to come. Can we pray, Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, you are everything. Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my everything. And Spirit of God, as we started out this morning, we finish and say, show us Jesus. Show me Jesus, please God. Show me Jesus. He is all that I need. We praise you, King.